You're listening to IoT Leaders, a podcast from SI that shares real IoT stories from the field about digital transformation swings and misses, lessons learned, and innovation strategies that work. In each episode, you'll hear our conversations with top digitization leaders on how IoT is changing the world for the better. Let IoT Leaders be your guide to IoT, digital transformation, and innovation. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the latest edition of IoT Leaders, the podcast that attempts to shed light on the mysteries of IoT, where in each episode, we invite someone to talk to me about the challenges, the opportunities, and the experience that they've had in the exciting world of IoT. My name's Nick Earle, and I'm the CEO of SI, an IoT company based out of the UK with operations around the world. And I'm delighted in this episode to welcome Brian Sagner-Smith of PodPoint, who's head of hardware development for PodPoint, and PodPoint are a leading provider of EV chargers. And we're gonna talk about the whole industry of electric charging in the home and what's gonna happen in the future. Uh, So Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thanks for having me. Yeah, and uh, instantly, our listeners and viewers will be aware that, that you have a, a slight uh, non-English accent. So maybe you can, uh, although I know you speak absolutely perfect English and have been in the UK for quite a while, maybe you can just start off by introducing yourself, sort of a little bit of your history and how you ended up at uh, PodPoint. Sure, yeah. So obviously I'm French. I uh, I came from Caribbean actually, and I studied in uh, France from a... Menk, so that was a Master of Engineering in Mechanical. I've studied uh, primarily automotive market. Um, In my fourth year, I uh, found an internship in PodPoint, a UK-based company, which I ran straight to, and uh, this was my first time in England. That's the time where I started discovering the joy of uh, manipulating and working with IoT device, and um, that's where everything started. So... Um, yeah, from, from that point, went back to university and uh, role came back to uh, PodPoint once my degree was finished. And I have since been working for PodPoint, so that's probably been about seven years now. Wow. Wow. So you uh, from university into PodPoint and been there. And I know you've done different roles. Maybe just to put them in context, uh, you could just explain to our listeners, some of them won't be familiar with PodPoint, but just in general, tell us just a little bit about PodPoint. And then also uh, the, the roles that you've done in the years that you've been there. Yeah, certainly. So but PodPoint is a uh, design and manufacture of um, electric charge point supply equipment. Uh, we operate primarily in the UK. So as I said, we design, we manufacture and we operate equipment which are intended to charge electric cars. PodPoint is about 11 years old but by now and we've, we've been from the first uh, probably the first one in the UK actually providing that service. It's the leader in the market here. Uh, we also supply to other markets in Europe, such as uh, Norway, primarily. But uh, yeah, so pr- pretty focused on the on UK, generally speaking. You know, I always, I always heard that. I, I used to own a Tesla. I, I don't anymore, I, I, but I loved it when I owned it. I had one of the first ones that came into the UK. And I always heard that Tesla's market share was the highest in Norway. And can you shed any light? I've always wanted to know, why do people in Norway love electric cars so much? 
I think uh, they were pushed by the government. Uh, I believe in the early stage of electric car introduction, the, the, the Norway government uh, incentivized the, the purchase of electric car by actually making ICE, so internal combustion engine cars, much more expensive than an electric car would be. So they've increased the tax on normal combustion engines, making obviously Norwegian people buy massively electric cars, which seems to have been a great move. I think one other point is Norway market is benefiting from a great uh, renewable structure, right? They've got tons of mountains and therefore a lot of uh, hydroelectric generations and therefore they've got a cheap electricity. And uh, I think that's probably one of the main reasons why the government's been pushing uh, the people of Norway okay. to move right. to. Well, thanks for answering that problem. It was, I always wondered that. It, nothing to do with the traction on, on snow, which, which was great on my Tesla. <laughs> so I know that you've done a few different roles, haven't you, in PodPoint. So you're head of hardware development now, but you've done a few roles while you've, uh, while you've been in there. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I started as a as an engineer working on different type of um, product developments, uh, everything from testing to general electronic design to electrical and mechanical design. I got along with the general concept of how do you create a, an IoT product, which is pretty much what we do uh, today. And um, at some point, I wanted to learn more about the business, generally speaking, away from product development. And I found a, a gap in the, the operation department, which uh, I was actually quite interested in. Uh, so I, I moved away from development to operation, and I took ownership of the technical support part of, of, of PodPoints and uh, slowly taking ownership of the supporting part as well. And that's really the moment where I was not involved anymore in product development, but deeply involved in the operation, day-to-day -day management of a business like, like ours. Okay, so, so you've covered most of the areas, you sort of come circle the whole areas of IoT. You have a broad experience, and I think that's relevant for this podcast. It's called IoT Leaders because, you know, one of the things we found here at SI is that a lot of people need IoT to be demystified. This It's so fragmented. There's so many different bits of technology, so many different options, but people are really just looking for advice and, and uh, how to get started, what to do and what not to do. And on that subject, I know that one subject that comes up a lot when we talk about EV charging, which as you say is a clearly a boom area and is going to continue to boom for many many years, uh, people say, oh, well, you know, the issue of standards and protocols is is really really key. What what's your experience of what the other than the the, the standard itself? If I asked you, what what's your experience of of why a standard is beneficial for you in your role in in trying to deliver these uh, uh, IoT products to market and meet, meet the needs? Yeah, that's that's a, that's a very good question. I think he unfortunately me took me a little bit longer than I wish he did to understand that. Uh, Getting into standard as early as you can, as, as a person which wants to understand the product that you're designing, is probably the best thing to do for anyone, whether it's whether it's a developer, whether it's a manager. It, it gives you keys that will enable you to develop faster and in a more efficient way. It will allow you to eliminate time-wasting in trying to find bespoke solutions and ultimately come to a solution which has got... You, you, you've essentially been helped to design a solution because you had professional working on 
the way, the characteristic of your product, what are the boundaries, and then you still have the clever bit that must happen within it, but you, you have a good overview of what to, where to start from and what you're trying to achieve with set boundaries. And I, I just wish I, I, I got my head around standards way earlier when I started being a developer because it would have just made me stronger in my approach to the design and the development of IoT, generally speaking, only because of the fact that you are working from something which is existing and you're not starting from scratch. It's interesting, as you say, you say that, and certainly we experience, you know, with over 2,000 customers, we we experience that a lot of people, they, they obviously understand the potential of IoT and the, the basics of IoT, but often when we ask them, well, what, are, what data are you going to measure and why and how often and in what way, they cloud over a little bit and say, don't know, I'll kind of work it out as I go. And, and what you're saying is interesting is that in your case, the answer to a lot of those questions was in the standard, uh, the framework already. And, and that's because a lot of, I guess it's because a lot of different customers in the same industry contribute to the standards. So you're actually getting the collective knowledge as opposed to having to make multiple mistakes along the way. I guess that's what you're saying, isn't it? All right, yeah. I think uh, th there is obviously differentiation between standard and, and open protocols, but in a sense, it's it's the idea of a community working together uh, toward a single goal and everyone participating in providing one unified documentation uh, to achieve that goal and to achieve that goal more efficiently. The, the open source the open source principle have worked for a very long time and seems to be very efficient. So. Yeah, I think my general advice, that's for myself and anyone that I know, I would always push them to read standards because it's its so important and it unlocks things that you would not think could be unlocked. Great, great advice for people who are listening. So let's broaden the conversation now. The market pod pointer in and, 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 and your competitors is actually much broader than EV charging. We call it EV charging, but, but actually it's a electric vehicle supply equipment, the EVSE market. And that's that's much broader, isn't it? Because that starts to take us into the whole supply chain from electricity generation to consumption, but all of the in intermediary steps and, and particularly the role of the car, not just in being an electric car, but the car at, at the center of the home and, and what could happen to the car in the home on the EVSE market. What, what's your... What's your views on where we are and perhaps what's needed to really make a disruptive breakthrough there? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's obviously one of the uh, big questions of this year and, and uh, the few years to come. It's, it's what do we do with an electric car that essentially remains remains packed in for over 90% of his lifetime. I'm sure there's a better number, but 90% um, of the lifetime. Use my car 5%. I almost cried every time I thought how much I paid for it. <laughs> that is, and that's, that's, one, what, that's one very key uh, factor here is it's the first time that we actually have a load which is in your house that has this capacity to take energy and potentially release that energy back, right? We, we're essentially talking about battery storage. The car is only a battery that has the capacity today to store energy. But what if that car in the future 
also had that capacity to deliver that energy back to the grid, uh, depending on the need of the grid at any given point, right? We, we have to remember that we're very far away from 100% electric electrification of our automotive park. And, and when, that, when that will happen, we will obviously put a significant load onto the grid and somehow we will need to be clever as how to manage that extra load that's been added. So, so one, way, one way of looking at what you're saying is that I think, of, and, and many people I'm sure do think of it as a one-way relationship. I mean, I've got my car, it's, it's in my garage. If it's an electric car, I have a charger in my garage and, and I, I put energy off the grid into the car. You, you're, what you're talking about is a bi-directional relationship where the car can can put energy back into the grid, which which opens up a whole new series of, of possibilities and business models, doesn't it? Yeah, that's correct. I think uh, this is personal, but I've got this view. Uh, today, you've got really two, two, two types of charging. You've got AC charging, which is alternative current, and you've got DC charging, which you find, generally speaking, in motorways, so uh, very fast charging. Uh, today, the, the concept of uh, what's called V2G uh, works on DC chargers. Um, so the ability to transfer the energy back and forth uh, from the grid uh, to the battery or the battery back to the grid. Now, the, the issue with the, doing this on DC charging is when, when you use a DC charger, often what you need is to have your car charged very quick because often you're just uh, traveling uh, from A to B. And the last thing you want is from your battery to be discharged to help the grid to cope with a, with a lack of energy at any given point. Now, what becomes interesting is if we have that same concept on the AC charger, and um, why do I think it's it's completely possible? Is you have an onboard charger in an electric car. The onboard charger functionality is to convert AC to DC, which is what the car does when it's plugged into your house. Now, if that inverter onboard charges the ability to do it backwards and therefore use the AC charge point to feedback and electricity back to the grid. Uh, you have the best use case because your car is going to be plugged at home for over what eight hours. That's that's the minimum you would stay from going to work and going back to work, coming back from work and going to work in the morning. And that's when it opens a lot of opportunities because um, you then have this ability to continue to use an equipment which is not too expensive from a customer point of view yet allows the energy provider and the customer to organize a change of tariff methods. Um, we could, the customer, which owns an electric car, could potentially help the electric grid to sustain the demand at any given point because there is a back and forth. And, and, and I'm, I'm not obviously saying that this technology is currently being studied, so it's not just in my head, right? We, there is some active progress on uh, enabling this today. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about some of that because there's also quite a few players, different players, people who aren't in the car industry are saying, oh, that's the role that we that we will play. But before we get onto that, I guess what one thing it, it you're saying is it's not just I have some power, I don't think I'll need it, and, and therefore I can sell it back to the grid. I think the idea of, of peak consumption, when suddenly the, the grid uh, suddenly gets uh, is in danger of a brownout, as they call it, and the idea that you could access this during, uh, I guess, uh, something like a middle of a sports game or something like that. Is that what you're thinking of? 
Yeah, correct. I think there's this well-known uh, story about the World Cup and uh, at the midterm, everyone going in the kitchen and turning the kettles on and, and that creating a significant spike on the grids. I think if we had the ability to uh, to use this car, which obviously is plugged because you're watching that food cup game and, and use the energy to, uh, to, to feed the different electric appliance that requires that energy for a short period of time, uh, then, then it would put way less constraint to the grid at that given point. And, um, and I'm sure the general electric manufacturer as well, the electricity provider will certainly want to have this kind of functionality in the future. You know, I was a few years ago uh, reminded when you said that that I considered uh, putting some solar panels on my on, on my house. And one of the big selling points of of the company that I was talking to was exactly this: was that you know, if you actually look at when we needed, I, I was likely to have a surplus of electricity, and I could. It was always being sold as a small business. I, I could actually make money by selling my power. And this, there's a lot of people trying to do this we you know we've heard similar uh, aspirations from people who make the uh, meter uh, electric meter they say ah oh, well, we'll be the uh, home hub if you like we'll be this interface the control point uh, the electricity companies themselves are trying to do it it seems to me but you know they don't have this remote offline storage and right now it's been these little uh, smart smart hubs, these little devices that measure usage, and it's really struggling to prove the value point of that. But even even the car companies themselves, like Tesla, actually, of course, having batteries that you hang on the wall. It seems to me like the the, the common trend on all of these is sort of the, the, the democratization of power management in, in that it, it's, it, it's a common trend on all our IoT use cases but not necessarily a well-known trend. What is happening is not just the IoT enabling of a of a single device, like in your case, the, the charge points, the, the EV charges that you have, they, they communicate back to pod point during their usage, but the power, the, the responsibility, the control point is transferring to the user. And, and that's a really big change because it's always been the brands. The big companies have the power. The big companies have the brands. You bought from them because they were the big companies. They were safe. They had the brands. But what you're describing is a fundamental shift where the, the consumer, in fact, millions of consumers are actually now going to be determining whether or not this and how this model works. That's a pretty big shift, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think um, we, we tend to forget one thing. So the electric car today is probably the first ever load in a, in a mass consumer market, which has this ability to draw a significant amount of power. When you, when you think of your typical car, we, think we, we talk about seven kilowatts. Uh, to put this in perspective, an electric shower is probably between seven and 10 kilowatts. An oven will probably be uh, up to four kilowatts and depending on the oven you've got at home. Now, my point is when you need to use your oven, you need to use your oven. You cannot stop using your oven because the grid needs electricity. Likewise, when you need to use your shower, you need to use your shower. But when it comes to the electric car, because your period of charging is actually quite long, the fact that someone, an electric provider or 
the grid is asking whether you could pause your charge for a period of half an hour. It's not going to have a significant impact from uh, from your point of view. At the end of the night, your car will likely be fully charged or very close to be fully charged, and that's fine by you, right? So essentially, it means that we have a, an electric appliance, if I can call an electric car an electric appliance, yeah. Um, yeah. which can be controlled and which can help the consumption of electricity to be controlled much better than it's ever been in the past. You talk about smart meter, but a smart meter is only just allowing to understand the transfer of energy. The smart meter has no impact on the control of that transfer. Whereas the electric car comes as a tool that we can use and manipulate to organize a, a more flexible consumption of that energy. And, and, and you will find very, very few other electric appliances that can be used that way because of the length of time that you need to plug your electric car for it to actually charge. So it's, it's it set us, if, you, if you set aside the concept of V2G on AC, just, just simply posing the charge and stopping an electric, an electric consumption, an energy consumption, that also have and can have a significant impact on, on peak, as we talked about earlier, when you've got everyone turning the kettle on for two minutes. You can just pause everyone's car charging for just two minutes. That's going to have no impact whatsoever on the customer point of view, yet it will have a very positive impact on the grid. It seems to me like it could enable another fundamental change. Um, we see disintermediation in supply chains happening all the time. We talked about it in, in previous podcasts of of uh, supply chains getting disintermediated, uh, uh, driven backwards from the consumer. But right now, of course, you, you have a fixed, as a consumer, I have a fixed relationship with electricity supply company, I, someone who provides my electricity. And, and unless I you know, go to U-Switch or, or some other service and switch, which I can, typically I don't, but I, I have a relationship with them. It seems to me that once you put a hub in the middle, in, in this case, the electric car, charged by PodPoint Charger and PodPoint Technology, then you can almost set up a marketplace. I'd be interested in your views on this. You can always say, well, why do I have to have a fixed relationship? Can't I buy a sort of on a, like a commodities market? Can't I buy and sell electricity on a market? Because now, now the, the car is almost acting as a switch. It can switch between different providers of electricity, including new entrants who don't have to have um, uh, have the meter inside your house, don't have to have an account with you. It seems like it, it could, it could uh, enable quite a fundamental disruption in that sort of marketplace type concept. Is, is that, does that seem reasonable to you? I mean, you, you, you got it right. I think uh, in, in my view, uh, energy broking, if I can call it that, yes. it um, has, there, there's a huge opportunity when you link up electric car, energy broking. And I think today in the UK specifically, you have few electric providers, which that's, that's their core model. They, they, they start to engage way more on customers which have electric cars because they can then organize alongside with the customer better periods when the car will be charging. And when you think of buying and selling electricity, essentially, if you know when you will have a certain amount of energy consumed, it helps you to have a better forecasting, meaning cheaper cost of that electricity that you're buying on the market. 
and I think I think you've you've said it very well. Um, uh, to me, this is already happening. And uh, one one thing that we're seeing already today is some electric provider will give you a specific EV tariff, and and that's probably one of the reason behind it because. By, by telling you uh, you can have 8 people kilowatts between 9 p.m. and 1 a.m., they're incentivizing you towards uh, the charge happening during that time, which is great for them because that's when they actually can get cheaper electricity. So, yeah. It's starting to happen, yeah. Uh, another, another example of a IoT-enabled disruption because for all of this to work, you've got to have almost real-time data fed back from the devices themselves, the, the chargers, the cars, the consumers, the, the devices in the consumer's home measure the consumption. And so, you know, the real people, we always say people don't want IoT devices. What they actually want is the data from the IoT devices to, to create innovative and disruptive business models. And that's certainly disruptive. It's probably one of the biggest disruptions that we've talked about so far in this series, IoT Leaders podcast, because there's a, a sort of front foot and back foot or proactive and reactive effect of this. It's a huge opportunity for the car companies, for companies like Podpoint, actually for energy brokers. I like that phrase. It's, it, you know, there will be new companies and they, you already see them. UK TV companies I've never heard of offering to sell me my, my electricity. They're clearly trying to do this. But at the same time, it's both an opportunity and a threat for the more established companies. And that's something that we ex will explore in future podcasts is these ideas are great and it's good for uh, small innovative companies, but how do big companies react? And that's a lot to do with the, just the size of the company and the lethargy and it's hard to be innovative in a big company, but the changes happening, you know, with, 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 with the disruption, the disintermediation of the supply chain, you start thinking about brand new models that were, frankly were just unthinkable a few years ago. I thought the innovation would be a little tiny box in my house that had a little a little dial that showed me what my consumption was and I could compare bar chart graphs for the previous months and thinking, well, this is cool, but not, I don't think I'm going to do anything differently with the data other than look at it, well, that's cool, turn the heating down or something. And then, you know, I can switch electricity supplier in 20 minutes and it's almost as easy as they say on the TV advert, but not quite. But now what we're defining is just a totally different model you know as a consumer i'm at the center of this model and i think that is one of the more fundamental effects of iot so so we talked a lot about it and and clearly podpoint is is one of the most innovative companies in this space i'm sure we're going to hear a lot more going forward but there are other innovative companies and and one thing we always ask about is in these podcasts is as we get towards the end of them we say each episode we say what other innovative companies have you seen out there? Because just, just doing the cellular connectivity, which we do in the device design, we enable, obviously, you to um, uh, connect all of your uh, charges and meet these standards. But there are other innovative companies out there that uh, are really key to the IoT uh, value stack. And it comes back to you know your learnings. You talked about standards. But do you have another, perhaps even a suggestion of someone we can invite to a future podcast who can talk about another element of this value stack? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind would be um, um, a company I've, I've been in touch with for, for, for a while now, uh, they call Device Pilots. It's a UK-based company. Um, and essentially, I think the core model is toward the, the data analysis of, of product that like we do or IoT products. Um, 
it's, it's all about the ability to visualize um, the data in a different way. And I think from people like me, engineers, um, we're obviously good with the numbers. We, we understand how to make spreadsheets and the like. But today, when you look at how deep we can go in uh, analysis of data and what we can get from those analyses, you, you, you want to have platform that helps you to give a sense to your data and when doing that allowing you to have some very strong queries running simultaneously and providing you insights that you would uh, could you could have but it would take you ages to get um, and and i think for those those guys are doing an amazing job on that I, um i've i've used them for personal projects uh, and and others but they they're very the the, the, the work they do is very important for IoT company, especially small business, often lacking the resource that you would want to actually spend time on doing that bit, the, the, the data analytic, which has insight, but are they, are they big enough for you to consider the cost of having them in your business model? I think that they, they help you to not think about that question anymore. So yeah, strongly recommend. Okay, yeah, and and I, you know, I'll give you my view on on that. It, it's um, the, the phrase you use, you know, give context to the data to help you make the decisions. And and uh, I often use an analogy, which I'll share with you with people when I talk about the value of data. And people say, well, I've got the data. Yeah, but the problem is you've got too much data, and you, it, it's really hard to know what the data means. And I'll use a car analogy because I always say it's the it's the often it's the trend of the data. The, the way the data is moving, which is much more, the trend is much more important than the absolute value. So what I've often said to people is, if I said to you, you know, the temperature of the water in, in, in your radiator um, at any point in time, your car radiator was, I don't know, 92 degrees uh, centigrade, is that good or bad? And people say, mm, I don't know, because I don't know what temperature of water is supposed to be in a radiator, of course, non-electric car example. <laughs> and of course, the point is, well, that's the point, you don't know. But if I said to you, it's four degrees more than it was 10 minutes ago, oh yeah, well that's bad because the water is heating up. So so your point about, about when you have, IoT enables tens of thousands of data points. You know, we have a proliferation of sensors, we can measure things at a very granular level. And so what happens is when you start on an IoT project, you get you get more data than you ever had, but it's also more data than you can interpret and. Uh, contextualize and analyze. So the idea of a, a management dashboard or a portal that actually is graphically based and can help you put rules in and triggers and events and alarms to help you interpret the data to make the decisions is a really important stack uh, because otherwise the data just overwhelms you. And especially in the case of EV charging, which is just going to become I mean, tens, if not hundreds of times bigger in the next few years because of the, the, what's happening at the uh, government level, what's happening with the green agenda, et cetera. The amount of data is just going to be exponentially grow. And the, the challenge is going to be the, uh, the analytics, the interpretation and the action that you take yeah. uh, because it's very easy to take the wrong yeah. action uh, on the wrong data. And I guess that's why you're saying that's important. Yeah, indeed. And I think just just to call, to top out on this one, uh, if you give one data set to uh, two different person, 
they, they can give you two different results because it's all about the definition of, of what you're trying to get. If, if, if the output that you're expecting is not clearly defined, then the same data set could give you two different point of view. And, and well, we, we see this today with the media. They're very good at making different sense to one single truth, right? And, and I think that's kind of what I like with, with their platform is this ability to allow you to see multiple point of views from one single data set, but without having to spend so much time every time you want to change that definition of the outcome you expect. And, and that's, that's got such a value because ultimately you have to define what you actually, what you want to see. That's very important. But having the ability to manipulate what the definition is and, and get to the result of different definition very quickly has uh, such a beneficial aspect in, in my view. Maybe maybe a future podcast idea could be around the theme of uh, lies, damn lies, and IoT data. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the, the laws of unintended consequences. But anyway, listen, Brian, let's leave it there. Uh, we could go on for a, a very long time, but it's been very, very informative and a very exciting area. I mean, frankly, if we did another one of these in a year's time, we would have two to three times as much material because of the speed at which the EVSE market is moving. So so thank you again, uh, not just uh, for being on the podcast, but also from my point of view of being one of our customers. And I hope our listeners uh, and viewers indeed enjoyed this podcast. Just as a reminder, we will be doing a regular episodes of the IoT Leaders uh, podcast we'll be publishing. And uh, if you have any suggestions or any, any of the listeners have any suggestions, please reach out of people who you think would make interesting guests on the podcast. But in the meantime, thank you again, Brian, and best of luck with PodPoint. It is really a very interesting world that we're moving in where consumers can actually uh, drive the whole EBSE market backwards from their own home at halftime during the England-France football game. So, uh, <laughs> <that> was, uh, <laughs> Indeed. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. Okay, thank you, everyone, and goodbye. Thanks for tuning in to IoT Leaders, a podcast brought to you by SI. Our team delivers innovative global IoT cellular connectivity solutions that just work, helping our customers deploy differentiated experiences and disrupt their markets. Learn more at SI.com. You've been listening to IoT Leaders, featuring digitization leadership on the front lines of IoT. Our vision for this podcast is to be your guide to IoT and digital disruption, helping you to plot the right route to success. We hope today's lessons, stories, strategies, and insights have changed your vision of IoT. Let us know how we're doing by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and recommending us. Thanks for listening. Until next time.